Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, TGIF. Thank God it's Friday, but it's an exciting Friday mailbag. One of our best segments of the week. We've got tremendous questions. I think uh, range the gamut of Bucks, Rays, and Lightning. And let's get started. Steve where would Burson. you like to start? We've got questions on all three of those teams. So where would you like uh, to start? Let's do Lightning since they're in the news. All right. Well, we'll start with the Lightning. Now, we are taping this before Game 2 on Thursday night. So uh, right. obviously things may have changed by then. And you'll obviously know the outcome of Game 2. So, mm-hmm. uh, But don't tell this, us because we don't know it. So yes, don't tell yes, us. Yes, don't, don't spoil it for us. Spoiler <laughs> alert. That's right. Uh, so Brian had tweeted us, and he said, "Can the Lightning win the series without Braden Point?" Um, that's a great question. And since I haven't seen Game Two as the rest of you have, um, I would say it's going to be really difficult. However, they did win Game One, so um, that would lead you to believe that they could win three more games. Particularly since a bunch of those are going to be in their home ice. I think as long as you have Andre Vasilevsky, as long as you have Victor Hedman, Kucherov obviously stepped up uh, in a big way. And that's what you need, right? When you lose, lose a player like Braden Point, you can't replace him. His ability um, you know, to, uh, to, to take the puck and get you in, the, in, in your own zone, uh, which is so important. And then on the power play, what he does, I mean, he just does so much. And, he, and he's, he's you know, obviously their best skater, one of the best in the National Hockey League. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to say we're going to take this piece out and we're going to go and win a cup without him. I, I don't know that I would go that far. But can they beat Florida? I suppose they could because they're you know as we did this, they were up one zero, so they've proven they can go into Sunrise and do it. I think a lot of other players will have to play large, and that's what we saw at least in Game One. And you'll have to see it, especially on defense. You, you're just you know you got to be committed to what they've been committed to the last few games before Game Two which is, hey, when we get a lead, um, you know, we're going to make it tough on you. You know, we're, we're going we're gonna to block shots. Uh, you've seen people sell out. Chernak obviously uh, got hurt doing that in game one. Um, and, and as long as they play big around Vasilevsky and let him take care of the rest and give him a good look at the puck and everything else, I think, yeah, they could beat Florida. It's not necessarily the way you want to do it, though. And, and, but having said that, um, you know, if, if you can – continue to make hay in this series without him, then presumably the healthier he will be as you get further down the road. But at some point, they're going to need Braden Point. I don't think they can win the Stanley Cup without him. I I would go that far. I'm not sure they can win the Cup without Braden Point. But they can and have beaten Florida at least once as we do this podcast. So my answer would be yes. I think they can beat him without Braden Point. I think, yeah, I think if if Kucherov shows up the way like he did in game one, if you can lock it down defensively like you did in Game 7 against Toronto right? and how you did late in the game against Florida. Mm-hmm. If you're going to play that type of hockey, yes, yeah. you can You can get by without Braden Point for a little bit of time. Yeah. Um, if if you're going to see the Cooch that showed up in the Toronto series, who, I mean, had eight points, but I don't think he, he played his best. point every game, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, need your, you, you need some of your other big stars to step up. And like Kucherov did that game, and you're going to need to see Steven Stamkos produce more. Yeah, if you're going to be without point for some time now, maybe if, maybe Palat scores. Maybe you know what I mean. Maybe you get mm-hmm. some secondary stuff yeah. going. As of now, he's day to day, and he may have played last night. Like I said, we're right. taping this before the game, so we'll uh, you know see as we go. But the good news is, is you know John Cooper has said he's day to day at this point, not week to not week or week out or indefinitely, or, or you know what, however they want to put it. So. All right, Michael had tweeted, and he said, do you believe in the President's Trophy curse? And this year, of course, the Florida Panthers won the President's Trophy. And generally, those teams do not win the Stanley Cup. Yeah, you know, I guess you have to sort of believe in it a little bit. A um, little bit. I, I think that I think there's pressure that comes with that. I, I think when you've established yourself during the regular season, which is not the postseason, I think the games are officiated differently. They're played differently. Um Obviously, a lot more at stake. You're playing the same team. We've talked about this uh, you know, every other night. Adjustments are made. 
uh, for your team specifically to beat you every single night. I think it's I think it's a lot. You know, it's not the regular season, but when when you kind of and we saw the Lightning do this when you kind of roll through the year uh, and have the most points in the NHL, the expectations are that you're the best team in the NHL and you should win the cup, and that's 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 a heavy weight to carry sometimes into the postseason. And um, when the Lightning did it. Uh, you know, I, I don't think, you know, we saw the changes they made since that Columbus series when they were swept. They had trouble finishing games, and they, they changed the com- composition of their team so that they could become more defensive uh, in nature and not try to beat everybody 6-5. Six to six to five. Um, So, yeah, I, I, I do believe that there's something. There. If it wasn't anything there, then every team that won the President's Cup, or at least the majority of them, would then win the Stanley Cup, and that's not been the case. So... Whatever that is, whatever that thing is, whether it's the pressure, whether it's um, it's one thing to be built for the regular season, but that's not playoff hockey. Um, I think there, that's there I think that's the it. biggest thing. I think mm-hmm. that the way you achieve the president's trophy isn't necessarily a style of play that will translate into playoffs. Yeah, generally when you're when you have that many points, you're scoring a ton. Yeah. Well, we know scoring goes down in the playoffs. We know that mm-hmm. the defense is tighter in the playoffs. And specifically, teams make adjustments within a series to you. Yeah. Where throughout the regular season, you play a game, you make a couple notes, okay, we did this bad, we move on to the next team. And then you right. move on to the next team, and then the next team. You know, in, in a series, you're breaking down everything that team does. In each game, you're making adjustments. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the defense gets the advantage as a series goes along. Yeah. Because they've adjusted to what you're doing offensively. And they feel you on the ice. I mean, you may play a team a number of times during a year, but you're not playing them back-to-backs or, or every other day. And so now you get to skate with these guys. You actually, you know, you can make, like you said, you make the adjustments and you can match up better, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I think, I don't think it's a curse necessarily. I mm-hmm. think it's a, there's a, 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 what can get you the best record in the regular season isn't necessarily what translates to the postseason. And, and yeah. for instance, the Lightning the last two seasons, you, you know, last year specifically, they didn't care about winning first place. You know, no. throughout the season, it was they got off to a really good start. They knew they were going to make the playoffs. And it was just about getting ready for the playoffs and working on, you know, how you're going to defend things or how you're going to run your power play or this. You know, it wasn't about we want to win every game this year. I mean, you're obviously trying to win every you're game. You're trying you play, to, yeah. But. Mm-hmm. The emphasis on you know it's a must process. win game or we've got yeah. it's, it's process over outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, you know I, you've seen this in other sports. You know the Atlanta Braves won fourteen straight division championships, won one World Series. That's true. You know that was a team. I, I you know and and I got to work with it at the very end of that stretch. It was a team that was built for the regular season. Nothing phased them. It was about the 162 games and a bad lot. I mean, every time when I worked, I did the Braves in 2005, which was the last of their division series. And I can remember back five or six or seven times throughout that season. It was just a devastating lot. You gave up a loss, you know, lost a three-run lead in the eighth inning in a game you should have won, and you're just going, oh, this is where the wheels fall off because they had a ton of rookies that year, a lot of turnover, and you're like, this is where the wheels fall. And the next day they come out and win. And it was just Bobby Cox's managerial style of, you know, look, it's one game. It, this is regular season. We do, It's about, you know, he didn't say process over outcome, but essentially that's what it is. You know, it's, you never get too high, never get too low. Just go with it. But that doesn't always pay off in the playoffs. And, you know, where a seven-game series, you can't just let things play out over 162. Well, hockey playoffs can be the same way. You're not playing it over 82. It's how do we win this seven-game series and make the adjustments in that. And, yeah. you know, is it a curse for the President's Trophy? I don't, I, don't, I don't believe it's a curse. I just think that, you know, and the Lightning learned that three years ago when they won, scored 128.62 wins, but they didn't play defense well enough and got to the playoffs and got eaten alive by Columbus. Yeah. who played a really structured game, and, and kudos to them and what they did. And, and I think Victor Hedman's injury was a part of that too, and there was a lot of factors of that. But – you know, it's a different game in the playoffs than the regular season, and it's that way pretty much every sport. NBA is the same way too. And for that reason, the Lightning will never try to win the President's Cup again. <laughs> Trophy, yes. Mark said, "In your one hundred percent correct opinion, how would you rate the absolutely horrible ESPN coverage of the NH- uh, NHL playoffs? Do you miss NBC's coverage?" <sighs> I guess from a media uh, 
critic standpoint, I'm I'm not probably the best guy, you know, to measure ESPN's coverage versus what's what's happened, you know, uh, on NBC or the other networks. Um, I do miss, you know, obviously certain people that have called the games before, but some of them are retired. Um, I I'll say this, and and I'm I'm looking at it purely like the way. Uh, you know, my, my kids are, they don't pay much attention to the broadcast itself, but if you're a lightning fan and they are, but if you're a lightning fan, I try to look at it through the lens of what is lightning fan thinking right now. And everybody, first of all, everybody thinks no matter what the announcer says or the guys in between periods say, everybody thinks those guys are against their team. (laughs) I don't care who you are. If you're a fan of the team, you're going to take, you're going to be sensitive to what they say and you're going to take it the wrong way. And you're going to say, aha, they really, really want the other team to win. I think that if you judged it on the Toronto series alone, I could see where you would say, man, the, these guys really don't like the Lightning or or they're pulling hard for Toronto. You know why? Because I think they were pulling hard for Toronto. And from a media standpoint, there is, and I can tell you this, I mean, you know, when the when it never changes, the stories are sort of similar, right? So what what a great story it would have been if, say, you know, the the Maple Leafs, got over the hump and won a playoff series and or went to the Stanley Cup. I mean, that that is the center of the hockey universe, right, in Toronto. Um, that would have been a tremendous story, how many hockey players come from Canada. So you should understand that when several hockey players are sitting on, on, on the actual broadcast itself uh, and some of them from Canada. So I, I think it depends. I, I think when you win back-to-back Stanley Cups, everybody's looking for the next best story, right? What's, who's the next team? We know the Lightning. We we know John Cooper. We know Hedman. We know Vasilevsky. We we've done all the stories on. So it was a little like that when the Patriots were winning all those Super Bowls, and they went a long time without winning them, but they were in the Super Bowl. And I would go to these games and say, "Hey, I got to do a, a whole week of stories. How many times can I write this? You know, like it, there was certain a certain sameness because it was the same players showing up, even though the Patriots did change players, but it was always Brady. It was always Belichick. So you kind of were looking for a different storyline. So I don't think they're biased. I think they, they, they totally respect the Lightning. I think they know what they're about, and therefore I think a lot of times some of their comments skew more towards the team that the Lightning are playing more than the Tampa Bay Lightning, who have, who have been in this arena now for two, you know, two straight Stanley Cups and looking to win a third, and you know um, they're looking for new angles, new storylines, and I think that's why people take it personally. Yeah, no, I, I'll admit I haven't really watched a lot of ESPN. I haven't watched any of the ESPN coverage of Lightning games, mm-hmm. the, the games themselves, because I'm always doing the radio stuff. What uh, do you think they're the, like afterwards? Like when you see, I, I mean, the, the hard part, and you see this, and it, it happens if the Rays were ever on Sunday Night Baseball, which rarely happens, or mm-hmm. you know, in hockey and the NBA, you know, your announcers. For, we'll talk Lightning, Dave Randorf and and Brian Engblom. Yeah. are doing a broadcast for Lightning fans. And so yes. 75 to 80% of the conversation is about the Lightning players. True. Their background, their this, their conversations, their, you know, everything about it. Right. You know, Brian Engbaum will talk a little bit about a star player on the other team. But it's it's a Lightning-centered broadcast. When you As go to a be. national broadcast, which is more 50-50, and, and you hope that it's the storyline of the game that factors how they're talking. Mm-hmm. You know, if the Lightning are getting dominated, of course they're going to talk about Toronto more. Yeah. If if Toronto is dom, you know, Lightning are dominating, they should talk about the Lightning more. Right. But announcers also are people, and mm-hmm. you know, they you know the Lightning. How many times can you tell that story? Right. And, and so, I, I don't think they favor Toronto. Most announcers don't care. They they want a good game. You want the best storyline. And I've always, mm-hmm. people ask me all the time about this, and I think it's the same probably for them. I don't know, Steve, but you could speak to it. You know, how come you're not a fan of the team? Well, I gave away my fan card when I went to journalism school. I don't. Mm-hmm. You know what I root for? Me. Good stories. <laughs> I, I root for me. I want the best story that's out there that day, right? Mm-hmm. I don't care who kicks the game-winning field goal, but I, I want I want the best story because I, you know, that's what I do. I chronicle what's in front of me. So I want a great game. I want a great story. I want somebody to rise up and that I can talk about the whole next day and tell you something that maybe you didn't see for three hours on TV on Sunday. And, and I think it's the same with broadcasters. I think mm-hmm. they want good storylines. I mean, if you're calling a game, you want a good game. 
You yes. want a close game. You want plays that sure. matter. You don't want a Drama. five one blowout no. in the third. You don't want a twenty eight three game in football. You want a close game. Network executives may be rooting for certain teams over others for ratings and for, that, ratings, for yeah. you know, as you go sure. on. Uh, sure. But the notion that ESPN would be rooting for Toronto, first of all, the ESPN broadcasts are not done in Canada. Sportsnet handles those. Mm-hmm. So do they care about the Toronto fans per se? I mean, there's some Toronto fans in the United States, but they're not actively rooting for Toronto over Tampa Bay. Does Toronto have some new storylines and some great stars like Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner? Absolutely. And, and stories to tell like that, and, and particularly the season Austin Matthews have. He might win the Hart Trophy as the MVP. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, yeah, so they're going to talk about that stuff, and they're going to talk about it closer to 50-50 ebbs and yep. flows of the games can affect how things are done and, and who's actually stepping up and making plays in a game. Sure. So I, I don't. I think ESPN overall does a really good job covering sports, period. Mm-hmm. I'm not a fan of all their announcers at times in all sports. Um, just, you know, but you have your favorites and stylistically and in, in the way they do things. But I think ESPN overall, I think Turner's done a good job too this year. And like I said, I haven't watched the Lightning games when they call it, so I can't speak specifically if if Mark's insinuating that they don't like the Lightning. I highly disagree with that. I mean, you know, announcers, and I know enough of them, they want good storylines. They want close games so that you're watching. You know, blowout games, people tune out. Close games, people want to watch and see. And if anything, that's what they're rooting for more than anything. Yeah, the game the, the games is what they really want. They want good games and they want mm-hmm. good storylines. I'll say this. When Cooch went Allen Iverson on them last night or on uh, Monday night I guess, or what what not Monday night, what was it? Tuesday, Tuesday night. night was yeah. no Tuesday night. There was uh more than enough praise heaped on on Cooch and then of course he scored later on a on a power play. Um they were all about that because that was a fantastic play, right? That was a mm-hmm. that was a a, a highlight star, uh, amazing you know play that they couldn't get enough of, and you could see the excitement and hear the excitement in their voices. There's no way you could come away from that broadcast or the guys back in studio after that play and go, "Oh no, they don't like the Lightning. No, they love Kucherov. They love what he just did on the ice. They love good hockey and and good storylines and that." And Kucherov took that game over, you know. He he just took it over, and and I think they did a good job of uh, of showing that and expressing that. So, yeah, I I tend to think that fans, you know, always going to look at it from the perspective of their team, and they don't, you know, pretty much if you're watching a national broadcast, you're used to the Lightning guys, and you don't want them to talk about the other team at all. You'd want them to talk more about the Lightning, and and you know what about this or that. And so, yeah, I I would agree with you. I think for the most part. Guys are just trying to call the game, and they really aren't that biased to one way or the other. All right, we'll go to the Bucks now, and Ellis had tweeted. He said, after hearing Coach Todd Bowles talk about how they didn't establish the run well enough against the Saints, combined with his do-whatever-it-takes-offensively-to-win approach, is this the year the Bucks finally beat the Saints in the regular season? Well, if not this year, I don't know when they're going to do it. I mean, um, I thought they would win one last year. What's interesting is that Tom Brady hasn't done it. Uh, you know, it's one thing if Jameis Winston, when he played for Tampa Bay, you know, had troubles. But at the end of the day, uh, the Saints have, you know, I think the thing that people miss about the Saints is their defense and just how good they are and how much pressure they can put on the quarterback uh, with their front four. Uh, the matchups that have, they've struggled with have been up front. You know, it's been Donovan Smith. It's been, um, you know, at the time, you know, Alex Kappa or – maybe Ali Marpet, you know, uh, Ryan Jensen, like they have just managed to make Brady very uncomfortable. And Tom Brady, any quarterback, but particularly Brady at this age, and we saw it happen in Washington last year where he got hit early, and he was spooked by that. And he started dumping the ball out of his hands much, much faster than you would expect him to. And it's sort of been that way with the Saints. They have bloodied defensively. They have bloodied up the Bucks pretty good. Um, you know, you know, they won a game here last year, nine to nothing, you know, it wasn't, wasn't like the Bucks weren't in the game. Wasn't like they couldn't have won that game with one score because one of those field goals came very late. Um, so, you know, but, but you go back and you remember the 38 to threes and things like that. It's, it's hard to explain. Now those games for the most part, 
of course, the one here last year late, well, Sean Payton had COVID, so he didn't coach it. But Sean Payton was such a big part of what the Saints have done. I'm interested to see, without Sean Payton, what kind of product they'll put out there. Jameis Winston's going to be your starting quarterback. Um, there's a lot of pressure on him. They've added some receivers, Jarvis Landry and others. Michael Thomas will come back. They've always been a really good team from a personnel standpoint. And at the end of the day, players win. Um, so, you know, the one thing you can say about the Bucks when it mattered the most in the divisional playoff, and I, they were, I still say that, that, you know, that was the pivotal game, obviously, because, you know, the Saints are up seven, and they're going in on the plus 40 when, they're, you know, the fumble occurs, and Devin White picks it up, Antoine Winfield caused it, and the whole game changed after that, and Devin White had a monster game. The players will tell you that they felt that if they lost that game, that the Saints were going to go on and win the Super Bowl. They thought they were better than Green Bay. Um, of course, they had lost to them twice already and, and damn near lost to them a third time. So, you know, I, I just think we sort of underrate how good that franchise is and how good Mickey Loomis has been. And, you know, um, it's, it's a transitional year for them. There's no Drew Brees. There's no Sean Payton. Uh, that that those are two major voices right uh throughout the years of drew wasn't there last year of course uh threatening to come back now i guess but um you know when you hand it over to Jameis and you say it's your show and if he can stay healthy and not you know coming off the acl uh, we'll see how far he can take them but um i i think at some point that you know the bucks have to get over the hump with with new orleans or they're not going to win you know they won the division they lost to him twice you can still do that um, but you know, if you want to go where I think they want to go, you're going to have to start beating this football team. And I, I, and I just think that their defense has had the upper hand against the Bucks offensive line. That's been the matchups. Now they, you know, they've added some players uh, on the defensive side. I, I don't know how they'll match up this year, but I think that this race because of the Bucks schedule is going to be a lot tougher um, than people are thinking. I know a lot of people have picked Tampa Bay to win the division, and, and they should have the upper hand because of the Tom Brady <clears throat> and the players they've resigned. But don't forget, you know, Tyron Matthews over there now. And, um, you know, so it's, it's going to be difficult. But, yes, d- do I think they can win, you know, seven in a row, eight in a row, whatever it takes? I, I don't know that the Saints' streak can continue. At some point, the Bucks are going to have to beat this football team if they want to get where they're going. And um, I would say that this year – at, at minimum, you want to try to at least split with them. That seems like that might happen, but you know what? They've had their number, and until you do it, um, you know, you, you've got to give the Saints the upper hand until the Bucks can actually go out there and do it. All right, Joe tweeted. He said, Rick, based off the recent comments of Todd Bowles and Clyde Christensen, who do you think is being honest about the plan with Kyle Trask and potentially being QB2 behind Tom? Thank you. Well, you're welcome. Uh, we'll start with that. I. I've known both guys for a while. I've known Clyde longer. And I think what happened there is uh, Clyde told the truth. And he did it in a very blunt and matter-of-fact way. I think Todd Bowles tried to walk it back. In fact, I know for a fact that by the time he left that podium and got upstairs, guys on his own staff were saying, man, you just killed Kyle Trask. What was <laughs> what was that all about? And and he felt bad about it because he, that wasn't his intent. You know, he was asked a direct question, and Clyde – is sometimes incapable of lying uh, and wasn't very diplomatic in his answer. But if you think that if you think that anybody but Blaine Gabbert's going to be the number two, then you're kidding yourself, or or you're related to Kyle Trask, or you're just the biggest Gator fan in the world, and you just want Kyle Trask to be the number two. Because it, you know, look at this football team and the composition of it. Okay, Tom Brady comes back, and immediately what happens? He does it on the eve of free agency. Ryan Jensen is back. Chris Godwin gets a franchise tag. Carlton Davis resigns, and on and on and on. You know, uh, uh, you know they 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 make trades for Shaq Mason. Um, they rebuild essentially and retain as many possible free agents as they could, so that Brady would have a chance, you know, to reassemble the troops, and and have a good a good look at winning, you know, winning it all because that's what he's in it for. He's a Super Bowl or bus guy. Okay, so. If that's the case and Tom Brady's your quarterback, does it is there any universe where it makes sense that Kyle Trask is his backup? 
I mean, if if Tom needed to be out of a game, for example, one game or so, that would mean that Kyle Trask's first start would occur this year with Tom Brady on the shelf. Do you really know anything about Kyle Trask as a quarterback to the point that he has not played in a regular season game? And of course, it's the old the old adage, right? Where you say, I have no experience, but you won't play me. How am I supposed to get experience? Well, you got to earn that. And Blaine Gabbert has earned it, and he's earned it with Tom Brady. There is four guys in that room, um, and Ryan Griffin's one of those, and he was on the practice squad, and he's played about eight or nine years. They're all about 10 years apart um, when you start with Kyle Trask. And I, I think that you know, they all have certain jobs they do. Blaine Gabbert has seen a lot of football in the NFL. He's played a lot of football. Maybe the record sucks, and it does, but but he, he is, he's been in the arena, as, as Tom Brady would say. So, you know, he has a lot more knowledge of how things work out there and how fast things move and what defenses are trying to do. He can impart that on Brady in, in a timely manner that Kyle Trask could never do because Kyle Trask has never stood under center in a regular season game. Um, he can watch it on film. He can do all that stuff. But his job is not to sit next to Tom Brady and look at the cut-ups and, and, and during the week look at film and try to help Brady assess what's going on. Um, not that he needs much help, but in as you know, much as that's, that's Gabbert's role. And Gabbert's role is to come in and play, whether it's a series, whether it's mop-up duty, whether Brady misses a game. You don't want a big drop-off. You simply don't know what they have in Kyle Trask. And that, I think that was the point that Clyde was trying to make, was like, look, let's not kid ourselves. We got Tom Brady back. Like, everything changed. If Tom Brady's not back, Clyde Christensen gives you a different answer. He says, it's going to be a competition. Blaine's going to have a big advantage. But, we, yeah, we're going to let Kyle go out there and absolutely compete. I know how it would have gone because I've lived these seasons too many times. Whether it was Todd Bowles or, or Bruce Arians as a head coach, Blaine Gabbert was going to start the year. And the reason he was going to start is that it was going to be at minimum even. And if it's even, he's leaving because he has the experience and, and he's, you know, 30, what, 33, 34 years old. He's earned the right um, to take, take control of the offense again. And Arians would have believed in him and believed that he knows the offense better than Kyle Trask, who had never been out there in a regular season game. So Blaine was going to start. Now, at some point, if Blaine, with this schedule, was 1-3 or 0-4, they were going to turn to Kyle Trask at that point. And then we'd see. And my guess is Kyle might give him a little bit of a boost or he might like struggle after a game or so. And then they were probably going to turn back to Blaine and then probably finish the season with Kyle. That's sort of how it goes with these young quarterbacks. Hell, you've seen guys drafted in the first three picks. Um, you know, Justin Fields, I mean, what happened to him? You know, he didn't start the season. Then when he went in, he wasn't very good. They took him out again. Then they finished up with him. And then the coach got fired. So that's sort of what happens with these young guys. I think sometimes the best thing that can happen as a quarterback is that you don't play, um, you know, until you're ready. Uh, you know, the one thing I can say about Kyle is is that he's going to work at it. He's taken this route before. Uh, we talked about this with Joey Knight the other day, at how, you know, he was behind Derek King in high school. Derek King's not in the NFL. He just got released by the New England Patriots. Would you rather be him or Kyle Trask? Well, Kyle had to sit behind Derek King. How did it work out for him? Pretty good. Felipe Franks. Felipe Franks was a guy at the University of Florida that he sat behind. And what happened when Kyle went in? He killed it. All right? Would you rather have his, his future or Felipe Franks, who, who I think was in Atlanta of late? Um, but I, I would bet on Kyle Trask. So Trask just has to kind of do what he's done. And, and you, know, Clyde, you know, Clyde was just laying it out the way he sees it. And, you know, again, Bowles, as a head football coach, your job is to make sure everybody believes that they have an equal chance or that they at least – you know, if they if they go out there and win the job, they, they have a chance to compete and prove something. And and he wants to make sure that environment exists. And so he walked it back. But um, there is no universe where Blaine Gabbert is not the number two to start the season. Barring an injury to Blaine Gabbert, barring Blaine Gabbert playing, if Brady gets hurt and just playing like crap, and then maybe they ch- turn to Trask. But Trask is looking at another redshirt year. It's going to be tough for him to swallow. We haven't talked to him. Um, I'm sure he's disappointed. But also, you know, sometimes exposure is bad for you. If you run out there too soon and you can't play, then they're going to say, well, let's go get a new quarterback. Because, you know, the one thing we can say that Tom Brady is going to leave Kyle Trask with a pretty good nucleus. They re-signed Ryan Jensen. Um, they traded, you know, for, for Shaq Mason. Uh, they, they extended Chris Godwin. Uh, you know, Carlton Davis is going to play corner for a number of years. 
So, you know, that, that made his football team better whenever Kyle Trask does take over, and he should be grateful for it, and he should learn from the GOAT. And, and then when he gets in there, do what he did at every level he's ever played in high, in high school, college, or and now the NFL. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, Les asks, if Kyle Trask goes through this 22 season without being active a single game, will that make him the worst second-round pick or just the worst draft pick of Jason Light's career with two years in and not played it down? Well, no, I, I would disagree with all of that because um, the worst pick of Jason Light's career is Roberto Aguayo, and that, that will always forever be you know, near the top of his Wikipedia page if we're talking about the worst draft picks. Um, I don't think Kyle Trask was overdrafted. You know, he was the last pick, uh, or the let's see, what was he? Last, the last pick of the pick second of the round, second round mm-hmm. uh, which is damn near a third round pick. So I don't think they overdrafted him. They drafted him with the intention of not playing him. They drafted him with a plan, and the plan was let's let's go old school. Let's do what what you can never do in this league, and what they used to do all the time, which is a guy sits. You know, you have you ever like, heard of a, like Aaron, Aaron Rodgers? Rogers. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever heard of that guy? You know, he played behind Brett Favre. Brett Favre, and he starts sounding, you can't sound, you can't say Brett Favre without sounding like, you know, Brett Favre. I mean, here's a guy, you know, one, two, three, four, Favre. Uh, you, you just, you, you just, they used to do this all the time. And I think it was the right way to ensure a quarterback's success, didn't guarantee it, but to ensure a quarterback's success in the NFL, which was, hey, Let's not just throw him onto the field because he's a high draft pick or because, you know, uh, we don't like the guy in front of him. Like, he's got to learn. There, there is a certain, there's a certain pace of the NFL. Um, there's a universe of football out there to learn. Universe of it, right? Defensively, offensively. I liken it to this. Like, when you first get to the NFL, the volume of information, of playbook, right? Just your playbook. Like, let's think about this. You have to learn a language, okay? In college football, they're holding up cards and pictures, you know? I mean, it's, you know, they're calling a play from the line of scrimmage. You're looking over there, looking over there, looking over there. They're telling you where to go with the ball, what defense you're facing, all of that, okay? You get to the NFL, and the first thing you got to learn is, can I spit this play out in the huddle? You think that's easy? Try to run John Gruden's offense, Right there's like there's like fourteen syllables for each play. I've I've watched smart guys struggle just to spit the play out, you know. So so you're literally talking into a mirror uh, all during the off season, trying trying to, to to memorize just the verbiage. Forget about what it means. Just can you can you spit out the play? Okay. So then you learn the language, and you, and and you're not fluent, but you can order dinner and you can figure out where the bathroom is. It's kind of like being in a foreign country. Okay, so you can do that. All right. But here's the thing. Are you going to work in an office if, if that's all you know? Are you going to be able to function as, as an employee somewhere? No. Um, so now once you learn the verbiage, okay, now you got to conceptualize what that means. Okay. Uh, you know, what, whatever the position is, you know, X choice, uh, Z, you know, Z cross X choice, you know what? So you have, positions you're calling out receiver routes you're calling out protections and 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 now that you've spit it out correctly in your mind pre-snap can you identify okay where all those guys are going right what did i just tell the x receiver to do what did i just tell y to do what did i tell the running back what did i what protection did i check to do you know what that means okay so now that now that you've spit out the language and you you know where everybody is going now your head comes up and you go oh yeah Look, there's a defense over there. What are they doing? Now I have to identify where's the mic? What, you know, uh, what, where's my hot? Are they walking a guy up to the line of scrimmage? I got to change my protection, right? All this is happening in 25 seconds, okay? And then the ball snapped, all right? 
the next level after that, once you've spit out the language, conceptualized where all you told all your guys to go, now you've identified the defense. Okay, now we snap the ball, and the whole picture changes. The whole picture changes. Because now guys are rotating back, dropping into too deep. Uh, you know, a different guy is coming off the edge. The hot is not the hot anymore. Does your receiver see what you're seeing? Does this guy see what? So now everything is different, okay? That's the level three, all right? It's hard to get there until you're in the fire. It's hard to understand what defenses are doing to you post-snap until you're actually in a regular season game. And there is a different speed to preseason, post-regular uh, season, and then even one more level postseason. So this idea that you can just come from college football where it was all spread offense and they call the plays on the sidelines and everybody gets separation and the guy that's open in college is open. But you know what? The guy that's open in the NFL, he looks like he's covered. That's one of those things that Peyton Manning, Bruce Arians was his first quarterback coach. There's a great clip where Peyton Manning is back there dropping back and he doesn't see anybody open. He throws a ball away. And Arians says, why didn't you throw it here? And he goes, because he was, he goes, no, that's in the NFL, that's open. That's open in the NFL. You got to throw it in a spot and it's got to be precise. And, you know, the margin of error is like six inches, right? So the windows are tighter and the players are faster and all that stuff. So the notion that, well, he played at Florida and was pretty good, there's a universe of stuff these guys have to learn. And the ones that struggle, are the ones that are thrown into the fire when they're not prepared. Kyle Trask, when he plays, will be prepared as he can be. And he'll have to make it or not uh, based on his ability and his, his, his ability to process information quickly. That's really what that job is. How does a guy who's 45 years old still play the best of anybody in the NFL? How is that possible? How is it possible? I mean, athletically, he's a freak because his arm still works, right? Most guys don't have the velocity on the ball, can't throw it. Their legs are shot. Like they're, you know, physically, they're broken down. So Brady has beaten that. But where he beats you is with his head. He, there's nothing he hasn't seen. He can process information quicker than you can, quicker than defenses can. You can't throw something at him that he can't figure out. And if his guys are on the same page and he can communicate it, he's going to beat you. Kyle Trask isn't ready for that. And Blaine Gabbard is faster at it right now and should be because of his years of playing and his years in the offense. And so you go with your best guys. I mean, this is not this is show business, not show friends. I know everybody wants Kyle Trask to play. Well, careful what you wish for, because if you play him too soon, he's going to crash and burn. And then you know what's going to happen? The Bucks will be looking to draft a quarterback in the first round. And Kyle Trask ain't going to get the bite of the apple that, that you want him to have. So whether Kyle knows it or not, or Gator fan knows it or not, or Buck fan knows it or not, they're doing the best thing by Kyle Trask by not putting him out there when Tom Brady is the quarterback and Blaine Gabbard is the number two. That's really the best scenario for Kyle. His time will come. He'll get his shot. If it's not here, it's going to be with another team. But he needs to make the most of this opportunity, limited as it is. And you know what? You're going to have preseason games. You're going to have two practices, one with the Miami Dolphins and one with the Tennessee Titans. And the Tennessee Titans came in here and kicked Brady's ass last year in practice. I watched it. You know, they, they destroyed uh, the first day. They destroyed the Bucks' offense. And that was Tom freaking Brady. Okay. Well, okay, Kyle Trask, go out there and show us something against the Tennessee Titans or against the Miami Dolphins. Like there are opportunities that he's going to face this year where he can show that he took another step. But right now, uh, he's not ready to win football games in this league. And they know it. And they called it the way they see it. You know, another quarterback that sat for a year beforehand, I'm not comparing Kyle Trask to Aaron Rodgers. Pat or, Patrick Mahomes. That's the other one, yep. And you know what they say about that? The Patrick Mahomes, could he have played? Yes. Would he have been Patrick Mahomes? He'd have done some stuff. He's freakish athletically. You know what they, to this day, Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes both say, Alex Smith is the best thing that ever happened to Patrick Mahomes. Mm -hmm. Alex Smith was a number one pick overall went to a bad 49ers team, got the crap beat out of them, right? Goes to Kansas City and is consistently putting them in the postseason. And then willingly shared what he knew with Patrick Mahomes, who sat on the bench, watched them go out, watched them win, watched them lose, watched how the mistakes were corrected, watched how the game plan was made, and learned 
the way you're supposed to learn, the way they used to do it. Uh, and I think he benefited tremendously from that as opposed to having to go out there and sort of, you know, have to... And, and listen, I'm not a big Jameis Winston defender, okay? I don't dislike the guy personally. I think he works his butt off. I don't know that he works smart. I, I don't know how he's going to end up in New Orleans. I think he'll do okay. But at the end of the day, Jameis Winston was put in a terrible position mm-hmm. by this franchise. He went to the worst football team in the NFL. And worse than that, he did not know what he didn't know, right? And he was expected to be the savior. He was expected to be the reason they got better. And so he felt the pressure to make plays and to try to lead guys when he didn't even know what he was doing. And, and that's a horrible place to be. You know, when you put a guy out there too soon, you know, guys aren't going to follow you if you're still trying to figure it out. You know, if you're still trying to spit out the play in the huddle. Um, all that's important. I remember John Gruden, you know, you have guys that sit there and they go in the huddle and they're like, okay, guys, here we're going to go, uh, you know, X choice, Z, Z, Z cross, uh, you know, and they start spitting out plays, but they're not sure themselves. And like Gruden would say, whoa, 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 whoa. And this was like Sims or whoever it was. And you go, you know, they call a play like you mean it, okay? Like you got to sell it to me, all right? If I don't know that you know what you're doing, if you're if you're sort of wading through this, you know what I mean? Like, call a damn play like you're going to make it work. You know, give some confidence to these guys. There's a whole, like I said, there's a whole thing to this quarterback stuff now. Hardest position in sport to play. Um, don't be too anxious to rush a guy out there. And Kyle Trask, let's be honest, not the greatest arm, okay? Let's say it. Not the best arm in the league. You know what? Tom Brady didn't have the best arm either. But Kyle Trask, not going to do it with his mobility. Not going to run away from people. Not going to extend plays. Okay? So he's got to beat you with his head and his heart and, he's, and his accuracy. Right? So, you know, there's more that he, he, he has to know than the guy that can kind of like scramble out of the way and make plays on the run, extend. That's kind of what Jameis did the first few years. Right? Things would break down. Jameis wouldn't know what was going on out there. He'd try to extend the play, and he'd throw it deep to Mike Evans. Right? And Mike would go up for a jump ball and make a bunch of plays. But that's not going to get you into the Super Bowl. So I would just say pump the brakes on Kyle Trask. He's a big boy. He knows what's going on. He knows that Tom Brady is there. He's probably frustrated by it. Um, but he's going to have an opportunity to show that he's gotten better. And if, he, if he's ready, they'll put him out there. And, but I, I, I don't think it's going to be this year unless there's a, a series of injuries and or playing Gabbert plays and is terrible and Brady's out for the year or out for a significant time, maybe you'll see him then. But you don't want to see him. You want to see Brady play every game, and that's pretty much what he's done his whole career. All right, Ray had asked, is the Bucks signing more tight ends this past week an indication that they know Rob Gronkowski is not coming back? I think it's a guard against it. You know what I mean? I think you have to hedge your bets here. Do, do we really know what Gronk is going to think it's. I think it's a sign that they don't know. You know, and... And, and this is true about all football teams at all positions. Like, understand this. Gronkowski could come and play. He could say on the eve of training camp, I'm playing, okay? And then he goes out there at his age and the, the history of injuries that he's had. And in week one or two, he gets knocked out for five, six, seven weeks. Hell, maybe the whole season, okay? Uh-oh, we need tight ends. You know why? Because Cam Brait can't do what Rob Gronkowski does, right? Because the other two guys we have are rookies, right? So whether it's, it, it, you know, people look at the positions and they go, well, why are they signing all these tight ends or why are they signing all these? There's a ton of receivers, right? I wrote a story about Jareth Stearns. Jareth Stearns is a long shot to make this football team. He wasn't drafted, right? He's like 5'7 in a phone book. Um, like he, and people go, what is a phone book? Um, he, uh, I had one delivered the other day, by the way, just say a paperback. Really? Do they still, they still deliver those? I was shocked. I was, it was like yellow pages. I was like, they still print these. Yeah. Well, at one point we were printing them. So yeah, you know, that's what I know. Um, so, you know, he, 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 but, but you know what? He was so productive. He won the triple crown in college football at, at Western Kentucky. He had the most catches, touchdowns and yards. Okay. But he's a long shot, but you know what? What happened at the receiver position last year? They were pulling guys off the street, right? So, you know, maybe he makes the practice squad. My point is, is that you can't have enough of anything, okay? And tight end's one of those positions that's hard to find. 
especially a guy who can block and catch. And that's what Gronkowski does. And and this offense kind of requires that. So, I mean, I, I think it's a hedge against him not playing. I also think it's a hedge against him playing because his history to 2020 was the outlier. You know, he played every game. He, he was never hurt. Last year was more kind of what his career has been. You know, missed four, five, six games, uh, particularly late in his career because he cracked the ribs, punctured the lung, had back problems, like didn't feel good. You know, all of that stuff. So they needed numbers. I mean, remember, um, you know, O.J. Howard is no longer in town. He's in Buffalo. So they, they didn't just lose Gronk. They lost O.J. Howard. That's two of their top three tight ends. Cam Braid is back, but Cam Braid, uh, you know, he's not getting better as he gets older, right? And he was never a great blocker. He can do some things, but, um, you know, he's third, I think, all time in touchdowns with like 33. And that's kind of his role, red zone tight end, uh, pass catching tight end. But you're going to have to, you know, whether it's Kate Otten, whether it's some of these new guys, you're going to have to find some guys that can play. Because even if, even if Gronk does play, how long is he playing? Can he even make it through the season? And if he does, what about next year? So you're always looking for guys, whether it's practice squad, pulling them off the streets later because you had them in camp. They're going to know the offense. They're going to be given an opportunity to, to show what they can do. You're going to have film on them. And, you know, if you get a rash of injuries at the tight end position the way they did on defensive back, you've got your list, right? You've got your evaluation. So, you know, it, it's a wide open position if you remove Gronk. It really is. And that's why they drafted two of them. You know, Coquit was the other guy that they drafted. So that's why you have so many tight ends. I don't think they truly know whether he's coming back or not. And if he does come back, as we have said over and over again, I think it'll be after the mandatory minicamp. All right, this one from Reginald is more of a comment than a question. But he says, It is hard to believe Tom Brady has a shot at becoming the Bucks' all-time touchdown passing leader this season. Well... I, I, you know, I don't know if that speaks more to Brady or just more to the, the history of quarterbacks uh, with the Buccaneers. Could be a little bit of both, right? I mean, the guy threw for the most yards of any quarterback in the NFL last year, uh, and he's averaged, you know, what, about 5,000 yards per year. There just hasn't been a great track record of guys that they have drafted mm-hmm. and developed that have gone on to a, we talked about this, like gone on to a second contract, and I'm not talking about Ryan Griffin. Um, you know, I'm talking about starting quarterbacks. So from that standpoint, you know, whether it's Vinny Testaverde, Trent Dilfer, um, you know, the game was different back then. You didn't throw for, you know, mm-hmm. 4,000 yards a season. Um, you know, Bruce Arians, uh, and I think in the last the three years that he was here with Byron Leftwich, they've had a top three offense, um, certainly in passing yards. They've been at, the near, at or near the top. Um, Jameis Winston threw for 5,000 yards. So, yeah, from, from I mean, when you throw 43 touchdowns, you know, a year, um, it's not going to take you long to climb that list. He's 38 behind Jameis Winston. He's currently in second place behind Jameis for yeah. touchdowns. I mean, I would expect him to come really close to that if not pass him, you know. And that's something that you could be the all-time leading Bucks passer. Um, listen, he's just, he's just working his way towards that statue that's going to be outside of Raymond James. And I guess I do mean a statue. Like, it should be – if they don't do the thing where he's throwing the Lombardi trophy over the Hillsborough River or the boat thing – That like would that, be the best. That would be, that the, would best. be the absolute ultimate, right? I don't, want, I don't want the Peyton Manning, you know, outside of, of uh, there's Lucas Oil where he's, you know, got the, the arm cocked with the football. Nah, I don't want that. I want the boat. Uh, his daughter, the trophy in the air, and Cambrate on the other boat trying to catch it, and yet for good measure, cut a little stream through the sidewalk and run some water there. That's what I want to see outside of Raymond James. And anything short of that, I don't agree with. But he's definitely going in the ring of honor. And yeah, I think he will leave here um, when his day is through as the all-time Bucks leading passer. It's amazing. All right, Tampa Bay 98ers tweeted, is it possible that the success of the Manning Monday Night Football exper- experiment was a key factor in Fox backing up the Brinks truck for Thomas Edward Brady. It seems like they were all in to get ahead of the curb, bidding against themselves almost. Well, I suppose they were. We don't know what other offers that Brady might have had coming to him from other networks, but a couple things happened with respect to Fox, and um, one of them was they lost Joe Buck and Troy Aikman to Monday Night Football, and that was not a slam dunk that that would happen. Aikman was a free agent. Um 
I think Buck convinced them to to let him go as well. He had one year uh, left on his deal. Yeah, and they 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 felt enough gratitude to allow that to happen. They tried to resign him and 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 weren't able to. So, um, you know, he was fortunate. Uh, they, they just had a conference call about that the other day uh, with ESPN, and those two guys were talking about it. So you needed, you know, you needed that that piece, right? You needed that that franchise, that number one team uh, that every every network franchise has, whether it was, you know, Madden and Summerall or Monday Night Football with Madden and Michaels or, you know, all those different incarnations that we've seen. Um, Collinsworth and Michaels on Sunday Night Football. Uh, Michaels now at Amazon is going to do it with Kurt Herbstreet. Like, you know, when you lost it to Monday Night Football, you had to find a significant way to replace it. Now, did did the Peyton Manning, Eli Manning thing sort of – pressure them not necessarily because i think what i think what peyton and eli do while interesting is not what tom's going to be more in a traditional role of nfl analysts you know um paired with the um you know with another play-by-play guy so it's not really like he's sitting on his couch um from miami or wherever he's going to eventually live and and calling the game i don't think i think he's going to be in studio or or at at locations and i I think that's what he's going to do so the the money part of it, look the the money thing. I, I don't. I haven't talked to Tom about this. In fact, I haven't talked to Tom about anything because he hasn't been available to us. And at some point, he will. Maybe the mandatory minicamp. But one of the things about the broadcasting is it's not something I ever sensed that he was like sort of aiming at. You know what I mean? Like I I that's a that's quite a job. I mean, I think people sort of think, well, you just show up on the weekends and you know. But this is a guy that talked about being around his family more. Um, which he will be. He won't be immersed in game plans and, and practicing and all that, you know, during the week, at least at least when he gets back home on Monday through, say, Thursday or Friday. But he's still going to have to prepare. If you think Tom Brady's not going to prepare, he doesn't want to be unsuccessful at anything, and he rarely is unsuccessful at anything. So he's going to have some preparation time. But I, it wasn't like – I don't know that broadcasting, whether the Peyton Manning thing convinced the network or, or him that this is something he should do. I'll tell you what convinced him, $37.5 million a year. And and it's not that Tom Brady's out there, you know, uh, worried about how he's going to make his bills because he's not. But because he has so much money, you had to blow him away. Like you had to make him an offer he couldn't refuse, as they said in The Godfather. So what would do that? Well, they found that number. It was $350 million over 10 years. And I don't know that he'll work the 10 years. And a lot of people are, you know, I've, I've heard Aikman talk about it and others like, yeah, it's not like talking in the huddle or the locker room. Like, you know, you've got to know about the timing of TV, and you've got to, uh, you got to understand you're talking to the people at home. You're not talking to to people that understand football the way you do, and so on and so forth. But uh, I, I think Tom is is a little underrated as a personality because he, he certainly has one, um, and and I think he'll he'll get all the other stuff fairly quickly. I I, I don't think it's something that he'll struggle with. But there's been others, great quarterbacks, Joe Montana, they talk about other guys that tried it and, and didn't succeed. And there are some like Aikman that are, are, you know, sort of anxious to see how he handles all those TV things. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, I think it was the money. I think, I think the money got so big and the fact that he loves football. Like he was always going to try to stay around the game. I never sensed that when he's done playing. And, you know, there's been stories, Mike Florio and others, about – him wanting to be a minority owner with the Dolphins. Well, that would that would moor him to a team, right? That would that would connect him with some franchise, which would keep him in the game in a sense. Um, and maybe that still happens somewhere. Uh, I don't know why the Glazers haven't offered him a por- portion of this team, except that's their team and they don't have to do that. I, I think that you know he's going to want to be around football. I just never thought that he'd want to be around it this much because he's going to be working weekends and not – not just you know eight or nine away weekends, but every weekend could potentially be on the road, um, depending on where he lives. And and so, you know, when you talk about your family, well, you know, a lot of things my kids do are on the weekends. You know, whether it's play soccer or dance or, uh, you know, his son you know plays high school sports. Like, you know, he's kind of given that up. Well, what's the price? You know, what what would make you do that uh, and still feel comfortable? You have that balance between work and life but it's worth your while. $37.5 million was that number. Uh, and again, 
He's not a guy that doesn't have a lot of money or can't make a lot. He just hell, he just signed another TV contract uh, with Netflix, you know, to do the Groat, the greatest roast of all time that he's going to produce uh, for Netflix after he's roasted first. So you know, it's just more and more, right? He did the movie Eighty for Brady, and and and, and we're going to continue to see this. But I I think that they made him an offer he couldn't refuse. It allows him to stay in the game, um, and it. it it surprised me that he would go the broadcast route, but not when you see that sort of, you know, wow type figure. Like, okay, now you've got his attention. Now you have his his uh, devotion, and you're going to get all of Tom Brady. And I think he's going to be successful at it. The few times that I've been around him, just kind of personally, one-on-one, there's only been a couple. Did an interview with him last year. Certainly, uh, you know, spent a little time with him at the Hall of Fame last year when he went up there for John, or for uh, Peyton Manning's induction. Um he is in the moment. He is present, and he is uh, a, a, a humble superstar, if there is such a thing, and 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 very funny, um, and a, and a practical joker, and a great teammate, and all those things. I think will translate to TV at some point. I think he's going to be very, very good, as good as he wants to be. Um, but it does surprise me. But I think in the end of the day, it, it allowed him to stay in football. But mostly, my goodness, how do you walk away from three hundred seventy-five million dollars? All right, we'll switch to baseball, and Craig had tweeted. Do the Rays have enough bats to really make a deep run in the playoffs? I feel bad for the pitching staff that seems they have little to no wiggle room when they take the mound. And is Austin Meadows and Joey Wendell trades now a mistake with Taylor Wall showing he's not an MLB bat and Randy Rosarina struggling? I don't know about Austin Meadows yet. I, I think we'll, we'll, we'll probably see Josh Lowe up here again. Um, Manuel Margot, who was playing every day, was leading this team in hitting before he went on the IL for 10 days. So, you know, is Manuel the guy that wouldn't have played every day if, if uh, Meadows was here? And, you know, Meadows is not an outfielder. I recognize that. He's DH. But they got a lot more flexibility in their lineup. They're able to manage some load, whether that's Wander Franco or, um, you know, at, at the time it was Brandon Lau, but now he's on the DL. To answer your first question, no, they don't. They do not have enough offense in this lineup as it's constructed right now. Uh, and I think that's been their failure for many a postseason. Uh, you know, it's one thing over the course of 162 games plus playoffs to sort of, you know, mix and match your pitching and get in and out of series or games, playing Baltimore, uh, playing the lesser teams. Because let's face it, I mean, they won the American League East last year because they went 17-1 and against one team. Uh, or whatever it was, eighteen and one, um, and that was the that was the Baltimore Orioles. Everything else was the same with every team in the division, except they dominated the Orioles. And, and frankly, the Orioles and, and some against the Yankees and some of those other teams went close to five hundred. Um, so, you know, all of that is a way of saying that when you get to the postseason, you need guys, big bats, to be big and loud. And I don't know that they have that. And we'll see if Lau comes back, but he has been a liability in the postseason. He has not had the clutch gene. He has choked up uh, quite a bit the the last couple runs they've had. Uh, a Rosarena, of course, burst onto the scene and you know was Willie Mays. I mean, he you know um, no no one you know, Reggie Jackson pick one. He was dominating like nobody's business. Now teams are adjusting to him. Now he has to navigate the full one sixty two every year. He just hit his second homer the other night as we do this podcast. Um, off to a slow start, seeing a lot of breaking balls. Um, you know, uh, it, it's we'll see, right? That's the thing about baseball. Like, it'll tell you who you are, and there's always a series of adjustments, and teams have now adjusted to him. I think they have Franco. They need a Rosarena to, to have a big bat in the lineup. After that, I don't know that they can match up with the Yankees. I don't know that they'll ever match up with the Dodgers. Like, there are certain lineups when you talk about a World Series that in, in a in a seven game series, you know, you need those guys to produce, and I don't know that they have enough of them. You know, I, I, I we'll see. I mean, Wander Franco didn't seem to be too overwhelmed by the moment last year, and Rosarena's had plenty of postseason success, but can he drag the other guys with him? You know, it's not that you're going to miss Joey Wendell per se, um, even though he's a contact guy. Uh, but but you need some guys to 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 develop and play better and and right now there's too many guys batting 180 you know 200 202 um and and for my money in a short series or what could be a short series it's not enough 
I and I don't know. You know, they added a bat last year. Could they add more as they get you know closer to October? They certainly could and probably should. But right now, this what is this team doing? It's pitching its butt off, and it's struggling to score runs at times. They just had a big outburst the other day against against the Tigers when all three all three outputters hit home runs. But if you think if you think you're going to get it from Kevin Kiermaier, right? Um, you know, or or Phillips, like I I don't know that you go into the into the postseason saying, well, these guys are going to carry us offensively. Uh, that's just not going to happen. It has to be your big guys. Um, they're not getting anything really out of Zanino that they got a year. Now, it's still early. You want home runs. You don't care about the average with him. You know, and it's just I don't know that they have enough bats. I really don't. I think they're going to pitch well, and maybe you can stay in a series or two that way, but to win a World Series, eventually you're going to run into the Dodgers. You're going to run into the Yankees, and I don't think you can match their bats. I just don't. Tommy tweeted, with Major League Baseball going to a balanced schedule next season and the Rays getting to play at least one series versus all the other 29 teams, what team are you hoping the Rays play at the Trop next season that has not been here in a while? Hmm. That's a great one. Now, next I'm season, sh- I'm not sure. you'll play every team at least once. You won't always play them at home. So you may play, let's say, the Braves at in, in Atlanta next year, and then presumably the next year they would come to the Trop. So you're not, it's not going to be like hockey where you play every team home and away. You'll just play yeah. every team now. And you'll have less teams against less games against Baltimore, Boston, New York, and Toronto. I mean, I, the, the teams I want to see are the teams that could potentially, from the National League, they could, they could see in the postseason. I want to see the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, I, I, you know. The Brewers are a good team. Yeah, the Brewers are a great team. Uh, yeah, I want to see. See the Braves. <sighs> They're a good team. See, the, the, the Braves. I'd like to see the Giants, who mm-hmm. are off to yes. a pretty good start. Um, the Padres, Fernando Tatis Jr. Padres, he's healthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Some of the West Coast, you know, and, and hopefully have them come to the Trop because it's hard to stay up till ten thirty. The teams we don't get to see for various reasons: one, they're in the National League, and two, they're on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Those are the teams I want to watch up close and personal because we just don't yeah. get to see them. I want to see Bryce so, Harper hit. I want to see. No, yeah. You know, I want to see be outstanding. You know, Degrom pitch if he ever gets healthy. Yeah. Again. How about the Mets? Mm-hmm. How about the way they're going right now? You know, that'd be a fun team to watch, play the Rays. So, yeah, some of those World Series contenders from the National League, because I think we see enough of the American League teams, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's they circulate through here, whether it's home or away. And to see the stars, um, like I said. You know, I want to see players. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's a great question. And I, and I, I think I, I'm kind of always been for the balanced schedule, you know, because I don't – if you're playing in the American League East, and I know it's cyclical, but that you know those are some big market teams, big money teams. They always end up with uh, same thing in the National League West, right? Like that, those are tough divisions because teams spend money out there and mm-hmm. get players, and um, you know, I think it can skew you if if you're playing the AL East 19 times, and the Central is really weak, uh, and they make the postseason, and you don't, you know, because you've been beating up each other all the time, and there's only one or two teams from the East, then, you know, uh, it's a cakewalk in the Central. Like I, it, And it's supposed to be cyclical, but it's not uh, very often. I think the East has been a beast for a while. I will miss the um, Rays going 18-1 and one against the Orioles, though. <laughs> sure you will. <laughs> sure you will. Because there's nothing that makes me want to sit down and watch a game more than to see them kick the snot out of I'm just of saying to help in the standings, not the actual Oh, it'll help themselves. them. Yeah, it'll help them. They won't have them. To, they're going to have to do it against better teams. But I still think the ballast schedule is a good idea. I don't know. All right, we'll wrap up on this one. Unless it tweeted. Major League Baseball umpires have taken a lot of heat this year, especially home plate umps over balls and strike calls. Where do you stand on using computers to call balls and strikes? Or at least allow managers to challenge third strikes and called ball fours? I don't want the challenge. I think there's too many challenges already. I want to slow the game down. I'm all for using the Cyclops uh, system or whatever they want to call it. They have it in tennis. Um, it, you know, if you can uh, judge whether the hair of a tennis ball hits a line and determine, um, you know, a uh, Wimbledon championship with it, then I'm all for using the technology they have in baseball right now. Uh, I think these guys, for the most part, it, they they have an amazing, in my mind, an amazing track record of of accuracy. Uh, do they miss a pitch here and there? Sure they do. Do they get most of them? And I mean most of them. Yeah, they do. Um, but the stakes are pretty high. And they have. here's the thing. We, they know they can do this, right? And you can still put a guy behind home plate to, to announce the balls and strikes. 
uh, based on you know, where that ball comes across that, um, you know, that box. And, and that's going to be the thing is like, you know, who's manipulating the box based on the size of the player and what is his strike zone? Is it knees to the letters? Like, what are we doing here? But once you can agree on that, uh, I'm all for the techno. I don't, I don't need to see bad umpires behind the plate. You know, I just don't. Um, was it Diaz, Lance? Who's the guy that's uh, getting all the heat? That uh, Angel, Angel Hernandez is one. Angel Hernandez, that's what yeah. I'm thinking of, yeah. One of the worst home plate umpires I've ever seen. Yes. And, you know, I don't want to watch managers and, and players get kicked out of the game because strike three is clearly not strike three, and everybody in the ballpark knows it, and the technology has confirmed it, uh, you know, three baseballs away over. And, and so it doesn't help anybody. You know, they use the box anyway for broadcast right purposes, and everybody sees whether, whether it's a ball or a strike, and then that just makes it worse on the umpires. I think they feel a lot of pressure with that. Um, just take it out of their hands. You, you, you know, you've all but perfected this. The other thing I don't understand is just like with first downs, like why are we still using two old guys and a stick to try to figure <laughs> out whether the guy made a first down? It's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Multi-billion dollar industry – and you're running, you know, two guys named Ned that are 65 years old in striped shirts that stretch the chains. Like, what are we doing? Put a chip in the ball. And it, I hear about stuff like, well, it's going to weight the ball down. All right, well, then do the chip technology and make it not weight the ball down. But whatever. Let's use what we have to be accurate. Because if that's, you know, that's the goal here. And, and I'm not one that, like, you know, you could say, well, let's review everything in football and baseball. Like, why isn't everything reviewing? You, know, you get four-hour games, and in baseball, slow enough. So, no, I don't want them to have challenges for balls and strikes or strike three. I just want them to just implement the technology they have, which seems to be good enough to me that we can all agree that, okay, we're going to use this. This is the strike zone. And it'll cut down on guys having to argue strike three, too. You know, you don't have to look cross-eyed at the at the umpire. I think, you know, as long as they're still employing four umpires to go out there and paying them the same money, I don't think they would mind either, to be honest with you. They want to do the best job they can. Nobody pays to see a guy umpire. Nobody. Nobody pays because Angel Hernandez is behind the plate. You know, it, it just doesn't work that way. So, yes, let's for, please, let's use the technology we have. What if Enrico Palazzo is behind the plate? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. There were certain guys, you know. Um, but yeah, not, not him. So I don't know. Anyway, great questions today. As always, it's been a great week. We've got more lightning hockey over the weekend as they continue their series with the Florida Panthers. We Sunday got matinee race. for game three. How about that? I love that. Cause I can actually, you know, get to bed. <laughs> it's great for us. I mean, we're not, we're Steve. not recording at 2 a.m. No, we're not. We get to do it, uh, at a re- more reasonable 10 30 PM type time. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm all about ap- afternoon matinee hockey. So we've got that. We've got the Rays in Baltimore for their series. So lots going on this weekend. Thanks for your questions. As always, we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we'll see you back here on Monday for Steve Versick. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great weekend, everybody. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.